Deja vu. Here we are again. Here we are again. And uh, I think we, before we begin, we have to backfill a little bit because it's been a while since it we has. put out a podcast episode. But we've, we've been iterating. Been, we've been iterating, and we've been, been busy. It's been busy, right? So today marks the final day of exhibitions, and we've talked about exhibitions on the show before. What exactly is going on? And uh, I mean, just just really quickly, what have been your impressions of the sophomores' first exhibitions this year? I'm so proud of them. I know. They really, I think I'm just most impressed by how far they've come since this time last year. Um, noticeable differences. They have so much more comfort in front of a room than they did a year ago. Kids and that in my room, I, you couldn't get two words out of them last year suddenly are speaking pretty fluently about yeah. their work. Yeah, and, that, and I think that that level of comfort has led to not just higher quality presentation skills, but higher quality analysis skills. Like when you're comfortable with yourself to stand up in front of a room, suddenly you're comfortable looking critically at your work and holding it up for the world to see, for your parents, for your peers, and for your advisors. Absolutely. That's been really cool. And, you know, the, there's a lot of... I think the reason why this keeps us so busy is there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that uh, you know the kids don't see, families certainly don't see, but suddenly they log into their uh, Altitude Learning account uh, the next day, and there's this bevy of feedback from their advisors. So part of this exhibition process, and we haven't detailed this too much uh, on the podcast, um, we also conduct a formal trimester evaluation where the advisor team gets together as a village to talk about the kid. And these conversations will range anywhere from eight to 10 minutes. Um, we got a lot of kids to get to, so we got to cycle through. But we talk about what do we see? How have they been performing in class? What can we celebrate? Where are some areas where there's some growth to be had? Uh, and we articulate that in a narrative form on their, I guess you would say, what, trimester evaluation yeah, report? Kind of, I think it kind of lends itself to feeling like a progress report. Yeah. You know, which would, what it would be in a comprehensive high school. And you know, what I think is really unique about the style with which we evaluate that doesn't happen in comprehensive high schools is that we're an evaluation team. So it's cross-curricular team of advisors, the math advisor, the STEM advisor, and the humanities advisor getting together. And as Hunter said, like looking at what we notice in class and in their academic work and trying to point out trends and patterns and inconsistencies because I don't think that young people often give themselves the lens to zoom out and see their work, the body of their work as a whole in the same way that a team of advisors can. So we really seek to illuminate what we notice uh, across across contexts for them. And I think it's pretty eye-opening to have a conversation with a colleague where maybe there's a scholar that really struggles uh, to, uh, to work collaboratively in my class. And then uh, my colleague in math or science might come in and be like, really? Because they collaborate great in, in, in my space. And, and, and here's what I'm doing. And, and here's how I've been successful with that. And then suddenly I'm picking up on maybe a strategy that a colleague is using that I'm not but then I can start to use too and hopefully find similar measured success. 
Um, and so I, I feel that the conversations we have are just as valuable for us advisors as they are for the scholars and their families in terms of informing them about their progress Definitely. so far in the year. So that takes time. <laughs> we, we're, gonna, we're recording this podcast early in the morning uh, in about probably half an hour or so. Uh, we're going to dive in with our advisor team. We're just going to continue plugging away, uh, you know, scholar by scholar, um, which is, I mean, really cool when you think about it, the, just the devoted time that we give uh, per child. Uh, and, and just instead of just quickly marking, you know, a letter or you know, comment box or something like that. Um, and we're doing it again tomorrow morning. And so we have not had all that much time uh, to try to podcast. Time. But beyond that, We've actually recorded this episode before. Done! What? I know. It's kind of a dirty little secret of the Odyssey of Learning podcast, but I think that this speaks volumes about what we're all about anyways here at Odyssey. So we had this podcast planned, and just like everything, we have our notes, just a very skeletal structure of things that we want to talk about, and then we just kind of make stuff up as we go we speak from the heart and we speak from our experiences and i think that the uh, the uh, the podcast becomes much more authentic that way but courtney talk to me about what what was what was sort of the the uh conversation that unfolded after we initially recorded this particular podcast episode yeah, I'm like <laughs> laughing just thinking about it. We walked out of uh, your room where we record the podcast and into our staff meeting, kind of looking at each other puzzled. Uh, what did we just do? <laughs> Am I proud of what I just said? I think so, but I don't know if it made a lot of sense. Yeah. And what we reasoned was that our conceptual understanding of what we wanted to talk about was quite vague. And so we continued our conversations. We put a pause on the podcast from, from sending it out and we refined our thinking. We thought about um, our experiences more deeply. We connected with colleagues and heard their perspectives and we refined our notes to where now we're going in with a really similar structure, but uh, definitely some examples highlighted that we wanna use to kind of guide our points home to, to bring it out of the ether as I guess my parents would say that when I was a kid, sometimes I'd get lost in the ether, <laughs> just these big conceptual thoughts and, and, and back down to reality so that, you know, what we're saying feels applicable to contexts of all schools um, and especially Odyssey. And I, I feel, I don't know, maybe I don't want to say I feel bad. I just, I guess I, I, I regret maybe having a little ignorance to the quality of the podcast just because as you and I talk, I'm managing everything here. I'm making sure the sound's coming in right. I'm thinking already ahead to stuff that I'm going to have to edit. I'm making notes and things like that. So it wasn't until you articulated specifically what you felt could be improved that I was like, oh, yeah, like, I guess I guess you're right. Like, that makes that makes sense. And and so here we are uh, two weeks later. Take two. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're going to try this again. Yeah. Because in the interest of all things iterative here at Odyssey, there's um, there's this notion that um, we can always get better, we can improve, and we can self-evaluate, we can proofread our own work and determine very specific areas and qualities of our product that we can uh, polish up a bit and, and work on. So that said, thank you for joining us. This is the Odyssey of Learning Podcast. My name is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. And uh, yeah, I, I like I like Hollywood, like 
take two. Take two. And uh, action scene. So uh, what is this episode about? Well, if you see the title, we are talking about writing and, and how we as ELA, English Humanities Advisors, teach writing and organization specifically here at Odyssey, but I would argue applicable anywhere that you teach a language course. Um, and uh, I think the, the thing to, to take away first is that we are constantly trying to dissolve our scholars' maybe preconceptions about what an essay is. And when I think to what we oftentimes stereotype as a high school standard essay, the first thing that comes to mind is the idea of this five-paragraph five paragraph essay. essay. I love that. That's going to sound really good, echoing uh, in the background. Um, kind of daunting, kind of menacing, just when you bring it up, as you can already uh, tell or insinuate. Um, sinister. And we all, have, we all have backgrounds with the five-paragraph essay. I, I just remember when I was in high school that it was the default setting. Like, this is, okay, I need my introduction, I need three body paragraphs with a piece of evidence per paragraph, and then a conclusion that somehow packages it up nicely and makes it look a little more presentable. And that was no joke. For four years of high school, literally every paper that I wrote, unless I was told that I needed to write some, some other way. I, I even remember um, vivid memory of being in the fifth grade in Ms. Shaw's classroom with an overhead projector with an outline of a five paragraph essay. Overhead and projector. I remember it being, <laughs> I had like the smears, like the green and the blue markers all over the side of my hand. Um, I remember feeling like constricted by the formulaic approach to totally. expressing ideas. Totally. And that started in the fifth grade. And I agree with you. I wrote every single paper from 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. I would even argue up into my sophomore year of college in that format. In that restrictive, uh, pretty stifling format. And when we think about the history of the five-paragraph essay and why it was created, right, I, I did some research in the late 19th century. <laughs> and then, And then continuously uh, bolstered as, as a metric of of success in writing because of the way that it streamlined student thought and gave educators an opportunity to evaluate young people um, in a more streamlined, consistent way. And when you think about learning how to write, probably in the fifth grade, it was a good formulaic way to think about writing. Because it allows you to take, as we talked about, the ether and like plug it into a format where it's like, okay, this organizational structure makes sense for a 10, 11 year old mind. But the complexity of our ideas ought to grow as we get older. And the five paragraph essay doesn't allow us to do that. I like that you're using the phrase streamline when you're talking about maybe the why, the purpose behind the five paragraph essay. And I, as I assume you are, are I'm so sympathetic to the, the drive to streamline everything. Because in what we do, and the amount of time that is consumed assessing work, that's that's always something we're trying to figure out how to do. Like, how can we streamline this? Yeah. How can we how can we get through this process as efficiently as possible so that we get uh, feedback back to our scholars uh, effectively? It's something I still haven't mastered and I've been doing this now for six years, a solid amount of time. Um, but what if we were to change the lens around that? 
instead of thinking about how do we streamline the essay as a whole, how can we streamline the skills, the actual essay writing skills that we're looking for? And I think that when we now transition into what it is that we actually teach here at Odyssey about writing, you could be just as effective, just as streamlined, but you're not necessarily looking at a paragraph count or, or kind of this, this more holistic structure, but if you're looking for the very specific skills that you are assessing, I would argue, I think it could be just as streamlined. Definitely, but... Do you, do you get the same vibe? Yeah, definitely, but um, way less constricting for the yeah, writer. Absolutely. Um, and I think that when you're talking about skills, uh, just to clarify for for our listeners, I think in our minds we like know exactly what that means, True, fair, right? But fair. but for people that aren't uh, instructors of writing, and and even if you're a great writer, maybe you've never thought of it this way. But if we think about the organization of writing, there are three parts to writing. I guess paragraphs or ideas in a way that are, is holistic and uh, detailed, mm -hmm. and can can really prove the idea of the writer themselves. And that is claim, evidence, and reasoning. Ooh, sounds Kerr. so good. I know. So good. It really rolls off the tongue. But um, it's an organizational structure that we use here at Odyssey and that, that many educators use when, when, teaching, when teaching writing and, and creating ideas, taking them from your head and, and putting them down into paper where you start with a claim, uh, an idea, or a point that you're trying to prove. Then you give evidence. What are the sources, the credible and reliable sources that back up that claim, make it to be true? And then the most important part is the reasoning. How can you explain in your own words how that evidence supports that claim? And then more importantly, how do those pieces, that claim and that evidence, connect back to the thesis statement or the point or the purpose of the entire body of work that you're writing? And what we're trying to really do, I would say here at Odyssey, is even that system, that structure, we don't necessarily want it to be formulaic. So I think that for someone that is so used to writing a five paragraph essay, they might see this claim evidence reasoning structure and think, okay, claim, one sentence. Evidence, second sentence. Reasoning, two to three sentences following the evidence. And that could work, not saying it doesn't, but I mean, take the comparative essay that they're writing right now. There is so much detail that they need to inform their audience of about this particular issue that they've seen. I've started getting paragraphs where I've got a pretty solid claim and then five, six sentences of evidence because they just need to give us. They're starting to recognize that my audience needs a very specific particular context in order to understand what it is I'm trying to say about this particular event. And so I, I actually, there was an essay I was reading last night where they came in with a claim uh, and then they kind of gave us this huge amount of context that was pretty succinct and actually was written in a way where I was like interested, like, okay, yeah, I want to know more. Like, tell me, tell me, tell me. They cited it. And then an entirely separate paragraph following that context is where they start to get into their own original argument about why this is so important and why we need to know this in terms of understanding their argument as a whole. And I looked at this and I was just like, yes, this is it. This is what I'm looking for because it's not, it's not a formula. It's, this, is, this is a scholar who is discovering that they needed to express a particular idea in a very particular way. They made it their own and I thought that uh, they were supremely successful doing that. And so I'm very, 
I'm very hopeful because, I, and let, let me be clear, very few scholars of mine are at that level, right? That's just at the sophomore stage. This is already a meeting, meeting too advanced, I would say. But this is kind of like the standard. I, I now have a model that I can use with my scholars as they move forward in developing their own nuance within their own writing. Not only claim evidence reasoning, but understanding audience. As, as the scholar clearly did, understanding the purpose of their writing. What is it exactly that they're trying to achieve through this essay? And then how are they going to structure the claims, evidence, and reasoning moving forward in order to for further support that? And that is not an easy thing to no. do. I would argue that you, going back to the five-paragraph essay example, I think another reason why that gets so streamlined is because it's just, as an educator, it's so easy. It's just so simple in order to to teach, to instruct. You, I mean, I, I remember so many diagrams where you had the upside down triangle at the top, three rectangles in the middle, triangle at the bottom, and, and it kind of just ties it up really nicely. And yeah, it's easy. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be, because it can be, but I, I think that there's, there's something to be said for um, helping us how do I want to say this? Helping us disseminate information to our scholar audience as efficiently and clearly as possible. So Definitely. I sympathize with that. Yeah, and, and I, I'm thinking, you know, just based off of kind of the story that you just shared about the scholar's essay that you read last night, um, about the, the, I read this Education Weekly article that was published in 2016 uh, about the five paragraph essay. And I could quote like, you know, a million pieces from this from this article, but there's a header that really lands with me, and the header reads five paragraph essay, structure or straitjacket. <laughs> and that sounds like it was written by a by, by an, an English teacher. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I just it it makes me think that you know the the framework of claim evidence reasoning is not restrictive in the same way that the five paragraph essay is, and though. Many, many scholars, as you mentioned, need that sort of structural framework to get their ideas uh, down in a, in a coherent and thoughtful way. Um, I think that there, there are ways to do that that are not limiting uh, towards scholar originality. And um, as you mentioned, like the nuance of, of creating a piece of writing that's engaging and informative. And we do a number of things within our classroom. Is it the leaf blower on cue? The leaf blower on cue. <laughs> Grateful our campus is clean. I'm so, I, like, and literally every day since I've started working here, I come on campus and it is remarkably tidy. It's so good. And that is, I think that that is a huge, huge, huge point of pride for, uh, for us here at Odyssey. So huge shout out to our, what I would call the beautification team here at Odyssey. So, but I do apologize if uh, we'll, we'll try, oh, that, he might be right by the door. There he goes, All okay, right. now it's kinda, it's kinda <laughs> gone on and uh, it's not no longer looming. Um, what was I talking about? Yeah, well, okay, I was thinking. Um, so, <laughs> one thing that, that I also think is worth mentioning is there are many educators in different contexts that might see the title of this podcast or hear us starting to talk about writing just let it, let, hold, it, let it pass by. Hold. Uh, hearing us talk about writing and thinking, okay, that's great and all for the English classroom, but how does that apply to me? 
Um, but the structure of claim evidence and reasoning is not limited to just the context of expressing ideas in the humanities context. It, right. It's a framework of, of writing that, that should be used in the science classroom and the math classroom. Let's take just a quick example of writing about data gathered in a scientific lab experiment. You make a claim, right? Mm -hmm. what, what sort of trends or patterns or observations do you make based off of your data? You make that claim, then you provide the evidence. Okay, what are the numbers? What does the data actually say? And then your reasoning is, again, the most important part. How do those numbers connect back to your claim? How do they prove your idea to be true? And the same sort of writing happens in the mathematics setting as well, like taking ideas and writing about them procedurally, but using evidence, using data, and elaborating on them to make sense of what your general big ideas are, what your general claims are. So this structure is not limited just to the context of ELA, but ought to be used in every classroom, in my opinion. And I'm really grateful that we also have an admin team that understands and sees that value and have worked in a ton of support for our colleagues in both science and math to deliver that quality instruction um, in their rooms as well. So um, I don't. I think we've brought her up before on the show, um, but the the illustrious, the unparalleled Rosemary, Rosemary. Um, who is just divinely important to the work that we do, um, particularly around student writing, and and we've worked with her a number of times, not only helping us plan curriculum, but just in terms of She'll just sit in in a class, look at what we do, and, and give us some, some coaching. Uh, I, feel, I feel like like a professional athlete almost when she's here and, yeah. and just learning how to better improve my craft, um, which is uh, just truly, it's a, it's a blessing. And, uh, but she'll, she'll work with science, she'll work with math. They'll look at science articles, math articles, and, and, and really go through and understand, okay, how are these skills, these writing, reading and writing skills applicable across the board? Um, and you and I do a number of things to really reinforce that so that the work that they do is as consistent as possible across the board. Uh, and it's a number of things, right? We will share a plethora of exemplars, um, whether they're student produced or actual you know, articles from uh, publications that we find relevant and interesting uh, to our content. And we'll go through them together as a class. We'll give them some examples to work on as a group. We'll give them many opportunities to practice. I don't know how many times we've done free writes um, based on building uh, an appropriate thesis statement, putting together claim evidence reasoning concisely within uh, a paragraph or two, and then really connecting that practice just across all the content. I mean, if you take the 10th grade as a microcosm, we're talking about environmental sustainability here. So most of the content that we will approach across all classes has very much to do with that idea. So then if I'm a scholar and I am in my humanities, my ELA course, and suddenly I'm reading this article around environmental sustainability, and then I'm touching on those same themes in math and in science later that day, or in the environmental sustainability complex, I'm now working from a shared foundation of learning that I'm building these skills consistently on throughout the day. And and I, I reflect on that, I think about that, I'm like, that is in no way, shape, or form 
like my high school experience, my personal high school experience at all. Me neither. And it's uh, it's really cool. It's really it's really great to to be a part of. So I'm grateful for our colleagues and uh, and and their because I think they're in a position where they might see some of the work that we do and and maybe be reluctant, maybe be not as thrilled. Like, hey, I'm a science teacher. What's going on here? But really stepping back and understanding the the why behind this process and man credit where credit's due i think all of the colleagues um that we've worked with and are currently working with have just really ran with this and uh and it shows that it shows in the work of the kids um that they're doing not just in our class but in in science as well definitely definitely and and it makes me think um you know as we reflect on what's been done not just in the ELA classroom, but also cross-curricularly. Uh, it makes me celebrate kind of what progress that we've made. And it also makes me feel inspired for what's coming next. Uh, so I think that at least what I've noticed is that many of our scholars across context in math and in science and in humanities have, have really gotten a hang of writing in like summary form. Yes. So they're able to read that article um, about environmental sustainability that you mentioned, or they're able to look at problem statements in math, or they're able to, you know, compile a list of thoughtful sources in humanities and generate these summary statements that really show a pretty deep understanding of what they've read. Their comprehension skills have developed so much in the last year, and that's awesome. But it is only really the starting point of, of strong writing. And to have the foundation that we have, as you mentioned, is due to the insane outpouring of support that we've gotten from our coaches, from admin, and from our colleagues. Um, and I also think that that same support can be used to take us to the next level. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, uh, Hunter, what do you think that next level looks like? If right now we're starting with like strong summaries, yeah. where do we go next? What well, I echo your, your sentiment entirely. So we just fit, we're a little bit behind because I was maybe absent for a week and still trying to play catch up here. Um, but we just finished our presentations on the comparative essay. So the scholar groups wrote this essay and then were expected to present their learning and their findings to the class. Now, they did a great job in the sense that if anyone were to walk into a room and then look at the screen and see like, wow, these sophomores are talking pretty fluently about the Armenian genocide. Like that's, that's a heavy topic, Yeah. but they're going over the, the leaders involved, how this affected people, varying viewpoints on what actually unfolded and how it unfolded. And, and you might look at that presentation and be like, wow, like, that's that's expert stuff. That's that's really that's really cool. And in terms of summary, I would totally agree. I, I I mean I don't think there was any group that I was really disappointed in in terms of how much they learned and now know about the topic that they've selected. Definitely. And we we had such a wide a wide range. Armenian genocide, uh, uh, the relationship between Inuits in Canada and Canadians today. Uh, the Canadian government, uh, Aborigines, and and the Australian government, um, apartheid, South Africa, like pretty much every continent, we we had an opportunity for them to to really dive deep into a conflict. Now, we have to kind of pull back, right? Just br- bring the bring the scope out a little bit and realize 
that what the essay was actually asking them to do wasn't called a comparative essay for nothing, but looking at an indigenous population, an indigenous culture, and then looking at a more colonial, post-colonial group that have had some historic ties, probably conflict across history, and, and really trying to understand the why really trying to get to the bottom of why these things happen and how does this inform us of where we are today, possibly where we're going to be headed in the future should this relationship continue. And that is hard to talk about. Definitely. Because you could do an abundant amount of research, as most of the groups prove that they did, show that you know the ins and outs of this event, these conflicts. But then that next step, that reasoning step, that why is this so important, I think that's where the growth still needs to happen. Definitely. Getting to a place where we can now take this information and we're now starting to grapple with it. What do we make of this as scholars, as historical thinking scholars? How do we make sense of the madness, the chaos? And that hasn't quite happened yet the way that I would like it to. And I think one of the main reasons for that is that's not a traditional way to go about your history education. Because we're not, I mean, I'm sympathetic to the notion that there is a, there's a pretty clear core like amount of knowledge one should know about history. Um, and that's what I love so much about it. I'm kind of a dates guy. I'm kind of a names person places. But at the end of the day, that we've got the internet now. Like as as much as I, I, it breaks my heart to admit it. Like I don't think that's where the education needs to be. Because if I have a question, or I'm wondering about anything. A couple clicks, and I suddenly know it. It's. I think that the skill, the main skill, is in the meaning making. Exactly, and so really helping scholars get there. And so I, kind of my go-to strategy for that for helping to build that bridge is just asking an abundance of why questions. Why questions and how questions. So for example, go, let's go back to the Armenian genocide because I love flowery, uplifting topics. Um, there was a, a presentation where they were talking about these, uh, these three main leaders um, uh, against the Armenians, kind of leading this, this genocidal effort. And they talked specifically about what they did and how they went about justifying uh, the violence, justifying the sort of vilification of an entire group of people. And then they explained the results of that, that conservative estimates give 800,000 people being killed uh, as a result of this. And and you can't, like, that's that's an important piece of information but for this group and for many other groups that were presenting similarly, that was kind of the end of the story. Like this horrible thing happened and okay. And my immediate question after that was like, that's intense. Why is that so important? Like what can we in 2019 take away from this moving forward and also looking at other things that are happening around the world? Certain rhetoric um, that we're hearing certain events, that uh, unrest that that we say that's why that's why you and I talk about current events so much because so much of what's happening today is rooted in something, some sort of historical conflict generally between two groups of people, 
and then people get are getting sucked into that, right? So I ask a lot of why questions, and when I ask those questions, like, why is this important? Why does that matter? I get a lot of blank stares, <laughs> and, and I don't think that they're empty stares, because I think it's maybe the first time that they've been asked a question like that before, and they're thinking, oh yeah, like that's a horrible thing. Why? Why is this significant? Why is this important? And and I think that that ties into what you and I assess. So putting our my educator hat back on here, you and I both observed that for all of the success that they've had breaking down their topic, it's that reasoning piece that still quite isn't there yet. So you and I decided to do this, what we're calling a reiteration, um, where we're giving scholars another opportunity. We've actually done three formal drafts of this writing, but we're giving them a fourth opportunity to take another look at their analysis, their own personal analysis, and start to ask those questions of themselves. How can we possibly get to this this stage in the writing? And it's a long process, but I think that they've been pretty optimistic. They're, they're thinking pretty positively about how to move forward. And by the end of this process, they're going to have a fourth draft of their work, which is outstanding. Definitely. I'm really looking forward to seeing them um, in the next couple of months uh, and even more recently for this fourth draft which is due at the beginning of December make that leap from summarizing evidence to making meaning out of it and drawing original claims that that tell us something new something interesting about a conflict or an event or a concept that maybe hasn't been written about with that clarity before there are a ton of other things that I want to talk about. Me too. I could keep talking forever, but I've, we have to go to a meeting. We've got this list here. Perspective, catchy openings, conclusions, thoughtful citations, transition statements, meaningful imagery. So much that goes into successful writing and I think really highlights the depth of what it is that we do on a daily basis. But... In the interest of brevity, I think that we can maybe save it for a future podcast. Yeah, episode. I'll be excited to, to give an update on the comparative essays and maybe um, pull out some specific examples of scholar writing to show maybe in a, in a more uh, you know, feet on the ground context what, what it is that we're evaluating when we say the skill of original thought, because that is a, a meta concept for sure. And one final thing before we go, Courtney your earrings my goodness oh yeah you like them they look like your they phone case they are fantastic Thank they you. do look like my phone case i have these uh i have these uh walt disney tiki room parrots on my phone case and i'm wearing brilliant macaw earrings brilliant is the correct word uh bonus points for you well done but they're beautiful thank you absolutely well we got to get out of here i think we do have a meeting and uh we'll just casually stroll in uh, for the Odyssey of Learning podcast. My name is Hunter. And I'm Courtney. See you guys. Bye.